Hello, bienvenue, and brochim habayim. Welcome to High Montreal, the podcast. We're your hosts, Lisa Winston and Sarah Bellani. We're so excited to present High Montreal's 10th podcast episode. At High Montreal, the podcast, we thought, in true Jewish fashion, what better way to celebrate than with food? In today's episode, we're also celebrating Shavuot, the holiday that, starting in biblical times, marked the wheat harvest in the land of Israel. Shavuot is one of many Jewish holidays that are intrinsically linked to the land of Israel. Our guest this week is Joel Haber, a licensed tour guide in Israel and food guru. Joel talks to Lisa about the tradition of eating dairy on Shavuot and the different types of foods eaten in Israel that were brought by various communities when they made Aliyah, as well as some newer traditions. Who doesn't love eating or talking about food? So Yella, let's get on with the episode. Shalom, bienvenue. Welcome to High Montreal, the podcast. And just around the corner is the holiday of Shavuot. It falls on the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Sivan. And although people might get a little confused about holidays or Jewish holidays falling at different days, they might say, oh, last year, wasn't it midway through May? Wasn't it partway through June? It's because the Jewish holidays are, are followed on the Hebrew calendar. And most of the Western world is used, using the Gregorian calendar. The holiday of Shavuot is a harvest holiday, including the wheat gathering. It also marks the date of the revelation of the Torah to Moses and the Israelites at the Mount Sinai. And that's important because of the subject we're going to talk about, the subject of food. It is also one of the three pilgrimage festivals when the Israelites used to go to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year. My next guest is somebody who is uh, who really works with something very close to my heart. Joel Haber researches, lectures, and writes about Jewish food history. He writes a blog on the subject at www.tasteofjew.com. He also writes freelance for various publications, such as The Nosher and Tablet. He, he is currently writing his first book on the subject. He is a licensed tour guide. Many of his tours concern food in Israel, amongst other things. He has a popular culinary tour in Jerusalem at the famous open-air market, Shuk Machana Yehuda. I'm getting hungry already. Joel Haber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. How are you doing? We're not too bad at this end. Now, I'm, I'm catching up with you. You're, you're in Israel. That's correct. And um, I want to talk, we're going to talk first about Shavuot, because, you know, like in many cultures, there's food that's associated with many different holidays, as is in the, in the Jewish culture. And people think of Shavuot and they think of food, they think of dairy products. And there's a couple of reasons why, as I mentioned, that the, the Israelites were handed the, the Torah at, at Mount Sinai during this period. And people say that the eating of dairy products might evolve from that because in the Torah, it gives us their, and this isn't going, this isn't the complete laws. It's just giving a people a tum, a taste of, of um, why we have this at this time. Um, the fact that they were given kashrut at the time of Torah and they needed time to kasher their, their utensils 
So it was easier to eat dairy products. In the years that you lived in Israel, because you hail from the United States, you were brought up in, in New Jersey, you lived in New York City and Los Angeles. Um, while you lived in Israel, did you, did you see various different kinds of um, dairy products that are eaten at Shavuot? Or does it depend on the cultures where the many people, different Jewish peoples have come from? What, what do you see about dairy products in Shavuot? Yeah, so um, first of all, just the idea of having dairy products on Shavuot, I find to be a very interesting custom because, and I actually wrote one of my early blog posts, I actually wrote about this. I've found somewhere in the neighborhood, I forget, tens of different explanations for this, for this custom, which suggests to me, and I don't want to like ruin anybody's thing, that none of them are the real reason, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not valuable. I think that it's still valuable because when we look at these reasons that people have proffered over the years, that also suggests what our values are, what our, what our opinions are, what our religion is about, whether or not that's actually where this custom began from. So I just want to say that. Um, but uh, yes, uh, what's interesting to me is that I was thinking about it, particularly when you, when you invited me to this podcast, I was thinking about the foods that we eat here for Shavuot. And I realized that although, of course, there are many dairy foods that we eat, it's a bit different here than let's say Hanukkah or Purim. On Hanukkah, everybody's eating sufganiyot, the, the donuts that, that are common. There are other things also, different types of donuts, for example, um, uh, sphinge, which comes from Morocco. I know you guys have a, a large Moroccan uh, listenership uh, and population there. So sphinge is very popular here. Um, or uh, sometimes latkes or what are known here as levivot. Those are also common, but it's pretty much universal that everybody in Israel eats sufganiyot on Hanukkah. It's also pretty much universal that everybody will eat some kind of uh, hamantashen or ozne haman, ears of haman on Purim. And yet, it's, there are things that are popular here, but it's less universal. It's not like everybody is eating cheesecake, although cheesecake is popular here. Although as a New Yorker, I think it doesn't hold a candle to a New York style cheesecake, um, but, uh, but they're, yes. they're decent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, New York style cheesecake so rich and everything like that. Uh, and it's hard to find a good one of those here. That's why I go to my mom to get it because she makes a really good one. <laughs> but uh, but in general, like that is something that's eaten, but there isn't this universal thing. And so one of the things that I was that that I think it, it stems from is that, you know, like as you mentioned, I come from America. In America, approximately ninety five percent of the population is of Ashkenazic descent. And most of those, although not exclusively, most of them came from Eastern Europe. So not even including German Jews and things like that that are also Ashkenazim or Hungarian Jews that are Ashkenazim. And so there became a unified thing that was provided there. Everybody more or less was eating blintzes and more or less was eating cheesecake, um, even though that's more of an American invention. But still, that was coming out of the Ashkenazi community. I don't know if it's quite as unified in a place like Montreal where your community is a bit more diverse, perhaps it is, but those became the foods that American Jews associated with Shavuot and everyone was eating those things. Whereas here, Ashkenazim are under 50% of the population, we're about 45% of the population here. And no one single population, I don't like to just say Ashkenazi and Sephardi, I think that's overly simplistic. We have Jews from all over the world living here. And each of them has brought their own foods with them. Some of them may have been traditional in their places where they come from. And even if not, they may still 
have these foods and just say, okay, well, this is dairy. We're going to do the dairy on Shavuot custom uh, and we'll do that. So that's the first bit. And so, for example, um, some of the foods that might not have been traditional in their countries of origin, maybe they were, I don't know, but some of the foods that people will eat here uh, on Shavuot would include, for example, kada, which is Kurdish. It's a bread turnover. It could have many fillings, but a very common one is cheese filling. And so that became something that's very popular here. Um, burekas, I'm sure you know, those are of Turkish Jewish origin. There are many kinds, but cheese is a popular one. Um, Georgian Jews make khachapuri, which is actually not one dish, but it's a collective term for a number of different regional dishes in Georgia. But the thing that makes khachapuri good is that what that word means is Hacha Puri means cheese bread. So it's all different dishes that combine cheese and bread. So all of these foods from different parts of the world that all have cheese in them. And so that became one of the common things that people will have. That being said, all of those foods are foods that we eat all year round and that not only people from those communities eat. So that's one part of it. I'm enjoying this vicariously. Okay. A thing of all these things I would like to be eating. Right, so I mean, What's also true here, I think, is also true in America, for example, is like, let's say Jews in America. Yes, many Jews will have blintzes and cheesecake, but many are going to make lasagna or a quiche. Those aren't necessarily foods that were special for Shavuot, but because we had this idea of eating dairy, you say, oh, that's a good dairy food that I like. And that's very common here as well. So um, I did a quick uh, check around. I, po I like posted something on a, a Jew, like a, a foodie, Israeli foodie group here in Israel. I posted it on Facebook. And the response I got, a lot of people were like, yeah, we make lasagna, you know, or something like that. Um, and like, okay, so that's fine. There's nothing wrong with making lasagna. It's not a traditional food for this holiday, but it's dairy, so we do that. But then you'll have people that like, so I found Hungarians who have, there's a, I don't know if you guys know Hungarian food, but, but there's a great Hungarian dish called rocket crumply, which is uh, potatoes and cream and eggs. It's kind of like uh, uh, all in like a big sort of like a casserole, it's delicious. So that's a dairy food for here. So you have all of those dairy foods. I think that one of the reasons, however, that uh, perhaps there isn't that one universal food that are that's eaten here for Shavuot is that for whatever reason, rather than something like, maybe it's because it's only a one day holiday and it's a holiday that is Chag, meaning that we don't, it's like a Shabbat rather than like Purim where you can go out and buy stuff. So most of the foods that people consume on Shavuot tend to be foods that they, that they make at home rather than things that they're purchasing. Um, and so a lot of people have blintzes here, but when I grew up in America, we had blintzes, it was always the frozen ones. I mean, my mom was a good cook, but she didn't make her own blintzes. And I happen to love the frozen blintzes. They're really good. But here, a lot of people make blintzes, but you don't see them when you go out to the markets because nobody's, or not nobody, but it's relatively uncommon that people are selling pre-made blintzes. So even if everybody's eating the blintzes, we don't see them in the same way. You know, so that would be one, one thing that I think might change it. The one thing I found that maybe goes back, um, that is kind of, something that a little bit more of an old school food that a lot of Israelis knew for Shavuot. And again, I would say this is a Israeli tradition rather than a tradition that was brought here is what they call ugat biskvitim, biscuit cake. 
it's icebox cake. Basically, you take like petit beurre, like, you know, tea biscuits, you line uh, a thing and you layer it with like different types of like cream and, and, uh, and cheese and pudding and stuff like that with layers and you stick it into the fridge uh, and you have that. So it's really easy to make at home. Uh, there's no, it's not something you can make with your kids. Uh, all the ingredients are easily purchased in the supermarket, but that was very big, certainly back in like, let's say the fifties and sixties, but even people that are, you know, around today will say, oh, that's what I grew up with. So that would be something that maybe you could say is an Israeli food for, uh, for this. I'm going to ask, and maybe not even just for Shavuot, but for other holidays, because you've been researching this, do you find that because the communities are coming together and, you know, in, in certain areas, like you said, certain communities went to certain countries and certain cities. So you're bound to have your two parents from the same place. You know, if your parents both came from Eastern Europe, uh, my grandparents, great grandparents. So it's really, they're all from the same, whether Lithuanian area. And so they all ate the same foods. But in Israel, you now have not only perhaps your two parents being from uh, different backgrounds in the Jewish culture, but even perhaps their parents. So you now have four different cultures coming together. Have you found that the food begins to mingle, that the, the uh, you know, a Rosh Hashanah dinner or a Shavuot dinner will, you know, begin, the first course will be one, th one culture, the second course will be another, the salad coming from another one? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I haven't found it specifically with the Shavuot foods, although you could say that, like, because these foods have been absorbed into overall cuisine, that, you know, I'm Ashkenazi, but there's nothing that's going to stop me from eating burekas uh, or kadeh. So in that sense, there's the mixing, but not within the same dish. But overall, certainly we see that a lot. Um, sometimes it's because of people that are married. Sometimes it's just because people see the foods that are around them. Uh, one of my favorite examples um, is, and I, I always uh, mention it when I do my food tours in, in Machane Yehuda, is that there's a, a restaurant or an eatery called Jachnun Bar. Jachnun and Malawach are the two things they make, and these are very popular foods of the Yemenite Jewish community. They're both types of pastries. They serve at this place a dish called Shakshuka Lawach. Now, Shakshuka, which you may or may not know, but for those who don't know if they're listening, Shakshuka is you basically take a skillet, you make a, a fresh tomato sauce from scratch, and then you crack eggs into it and the eggs poach in the sauce. It's a delicious dish, very popular in Israel. This originated uh, most likely in Tunisia, certainly North Africa, but the point is definitely not in Yemen. Never in the history of Yemen did a shakshuka ever touch a malawaf. They never heard of it. It's from a different part of the world. Here in Jerusalem, nobody bats an eye. Nobody goes, huh? Everybody knows what it is. And nobody goes, ew. Everyone's like, yeah, give me that because that's awesome. But that's a, an example of a melting pot dish. It's not weird for us to see those two things together. It's, it's, it's logical. Another example is that Trina, which is, you know, sesame paste, that's general Middle Eastern from all over here and an ancient food, but we put that on everything here. It doesn't have to be a Middle Eastern food that, that Trina goes on. That's like the main condiment that will, people will put onto anything. So those are examples of, of how those foods mix here. Um, I mean, there are also, I, I think that there's, regarding Shavuot, that there's also a couple of, of food traditions that we forget about uh, that we do see here. First of all, Although this, this dairy tradition is there, there are many Jews, and I, I see it maybe observed more here than, than in America, but also in America and Canada, I'm sure it's also, particularly in the more religious uh, or more observant or more orthodox circles, 
that people say, you know what, even though we have this custom to eat dairy, you're supposed to eat meat to honor a holiday. And so there are those, like, for example, one, one person who answered my, my, my posting uh, is a Yemenite, and he says, we eat the Yemenite soup, which is a meat soup, you know, because that's what they eat for holidays, no matter what, whether it's this holiday or not. But we forget that, in fact, the real essence of this holiday, which you mentioned, and it's even more the essence of the holiday than uh, the giving of the Torah, because when you look in the Torah, it does not connect Shavuot to that date it, or to that event. It only connects it to the harvest. That's a, a later tradition that says, oh yeah, that's that's why we were celebrating Shavuot is to commemorate you know, the, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. It, it, it does talk about it explicitly with Passover that it's because we had the Exodus. It does not say that anywhere in the Torah about Shavuot. And so there are many food traditions that directly connect with that harvest element. So, for example, I think it's less popular now, but certainly in the pre-state years and in the early state years, all of the kibbutzim and moshavim, these uh, you know collective agricultural settlements, had a tradition to do a bikurim ceremony, which means the first fruit ceremony, and they would often come up to Jerusalem together and have a big ceremony at the at where the Knesset was, or or also at the national institutions, where all of these children would bring baskets of first fruits and things of that nature to remind us of this. Uh, we have Tunisian Jews who will eat specifically roasted grains to remember what Ruth was dealing with, harvesting the wheat. You have. Jews from, uh, from Central Asia, mainly uh, Persia and, and uh, Afghanistan and in that area that will eat omelets with herbs inside. Like for example, Persian Jews have kuku sabzi. Um, I, I've heard, I, I can't say every, every Persian or Afghan Jew does these things or Bukhara Jew, but this is a common thing because that's you know fresh and all of that stuff. The same way people will decorate their houses in greenery or their synagogues in greenery. And the last one that I saw that common uh, that taps into this is there's a bread that I've only read about and I've not met people who commonly make it, um, but it's been written about widely. So people know that this tradition existed uh, called uh, Seven Heavens Bread. Uh, it's a big bread that, that was, it's got seven rings, like the seven heavens, the idea that it's also shaped like Mount Sinai, the idea, and paste on the outside made out of bread are all these different special symbols, a ladder, a bird, special symbols connected with it. I've heard of people here making it, but not necessarily that they're from communities that made it. It's more that they've read about it and like, oh, that's a beautiful tradition. I'm gonna start doing this again. Even Ashkenazim were doing it because they like it and it's a beautiful custom. But I did hear from two different Tunisians uh, that said that their grandmothers used to make cookies in these shapes. So it wasn't the full seven heavens bread, but still the same symbols, a ladder, a bird, uh, a basket, as in like a basket of the first fruits, things of that nature. And so that is something that is definitely has a longstanding tradition and is connected with this holiday that there are people here that, that do do that. So I think that's kind of cool also. How did you come about that, that you decided food was going to be your thing? You know, um, you, were, you were going to research, you were going to blog about it. And we also want to get to your culinary tour of Machane Yehuda. So first talk about how you got into food. Sure. So, uh, I mean, I've always loved food. Uh, my mom is a great cook and, and an adventurous cook. And that, that certainly uh, opened up my palate and my adventurousness. 
Um, and I started cooking because I, I, I'm not a chef at all. I'm not trained in any way. I just like to cook and, and I'm pretty good at it. And I cook because I love to cook because I love to eat. So, you know, that, that just went out of it. But, uh, you know, Makhani um, Market uh, is like one of my favorite places, perhaps my favorite place in Jerusalem and, and in Israel because I love food. And whenever I travel, I always like to visit food markets. It's just something that I love. So when I became a tour guide, I started to guide tours there, culinary tours. But in order to do a good job of that, I started to dig into the history of the foods that are there. Plus, I had also been exposed to the ideas of, of food history and Jewish food history in particular because um, I knew um, Gil Marx, who, uh, Shalom, who passed away a few years back. Um, he was one of the top Jewish food writers and food historians. Um, I met him because his mom was next door neighbor of my brother's. And so he was a big inspiration for me as well. So those two things opened up this world of food history for me. And I started to dig down and, and actually, uh, I could say that maybe what my anniversary is coming up because it started on a Shavuot. Uh, uh, I was asked to do a program for, I think it was a visiting high school from Chicago or something like that. And I suggested that I sort of took these things that I had learned about the foods on my tour and give it as a lecture, 18 Jewish foods. Uh, and so everything I've done since has grown out of that, uh, expanding that, uh, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And, uh, and uh, you know, when, when, when tourism slowed down for the last few years with the pandemic, it opened up a lot more time. I was already working a lot on, on all of this, but it gave me even more time uh, to focus on it. So uh, that was the opportunity there. So are you allowed to talk about, or are you willing to talk about the book that you're putting together? Is it a, a certain sure. um, slant of food? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the book that I'm working on, and I'm uh, probably about 65 to 70% done with at the moment, uh, is I basically look at Shabbat stews from around the world. So Chulin, Chamin, Dafina, Srina, um, you know, Chalabibi, uh, all these, every community, every Jewish community has some type of Jewish food or almost every Jewish uh, community, meaning a food that is multi-ingredient that is prepared on Friday and left to cook overnight to be eaten hot for Shabbat lunch on Saturday. And so my argument is that really, rather than being different dishes, they are all versions of the same dish and that They've grown and changed uh, as we have migrated. And so therefore I use them as a way of basically tracing all of Jewish history, tracing the migrations of the Jews through the diaspora. How did we get from each place to another place? What were the conditions there? Uh, and interweaving that with uh, explorations of these uh, Shabbat stews. That's a book I want to read. If people want to get to <laughs> if, if people want to get in touch with you, if first of all, they want the Machanei Yehuda tour or sure. let's say somebody is on a bar mitzvah tour or some other kind of tour. How do they get in touch with you? And is this a possibility? Sure. It is jewishfoodbook at gmail.com. Um, but also if you go to the blog, tasteofjew.com, there's a contact page there. I'm easily findable. Um, basically, uh, my nickname for many decades has been Fun Joel. So if you just Google Fun Joel, you'll find one of my websites or, or social media accounts or something of that nature. So those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk about uh, tours in the show, tours anywhere else. If people have questions about traditional Jewish foods that they want to ask me about, you know, how is this a Jewish food? Is this, I heard about this, any, any of those kinds of things, 
It also gives me uh, things I might answer on, on a blog post. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm happy. I love talking about food. So uh, anyone who wants to uh, be in touch, jewishfoodbook at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with me. And why it, one of the, another reason why it interests me is because as we had different uh, people, as I said, I'm very Ashkenaz, but as we had different people marry into our family, you know, we put in a little bit of Persian, we put a little, little bit of an Italian, so that now we have on different holidays certain things that have become a staple that when I was uh, Katanchik, when I was little, was not something that was part of either our Seder table or our Rosh Hashanah table. So I, I find it fascinating um, that this is the subject matter that you that you follow up on. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, the, 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 the first articles that I ever wrote about this, which was before I even launched on this journey, is when I was still living in Los Angeles. I wrote two articles in the Jewish Journal in Los Angeles uh, that were basically on that topic, because one of them was, uh, I, I've always, I've made my own seders for about 25 years or something now, and I don't make the traditional foods that my mom made. I always would like, I, I, this is the holiday of freedom, so I started to, you know, try to be free about it and do different things. And then I wrote one about Rosh Hashanah foods that combine foods from around the world into one menu. So yeah, very much that, that exact uh, topic. Well, I want to thank you very much, Joel, for being on the program, for, for talking, I guess, specifically giving us a ton of Shavuot, but giving us a wider view of what we can add to our, uh, to our cuisine. Thank you My so much pleasure. for being with us. Chag Bon Appetit and Batei Avod. Thanks so much, Lisa, and Montreal. We're thankful to Joel for indulging us with such an informative and descriptive discussion on the Shavuot foods we can find in Israel. I'm dreaming about my next trip to Israel, and I've started a list of new foods Joel mentioned today that I'll have to try. Thank you to all of you for joining us for today's episode of Hi Montreal, the podcast. We'd love for you to hit subscribe or follow us on the platform on which you're listening. Until next time, shalom, v'litraot.